Are you willing to put aside all speculation and announce to the people here that you are not running in 2020? No. Overall, wages are down. People are working longer hours for less money. Obama is illegal Americans uh, being mistreated in society. Noting that world leaders laughed at President Trump. Trade war. You know what it is? My new slogan. America great. Hello and welcome back to another year of 2020 Vision, the United States Study Center's weekly look at the latest twists and turns in the race for the White House in the 2020 US presidential election. Over the break, we've had the first Democrats put up their hands as candidates for the party's nomination for president, a partial government shutdown, now the longest of its kind in US history, and a series of sensational reports on the investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election. To help us catch up on all the political drama this week, I'm joined by Jared Monshine, a former analyst with Bloomberg BNA in Washington, D.C., a research associate with the Council on Foreign Relations in New York City, and he worked for Foreign Policy magazine as well. He's now a senior fellow and senior advisor in the United States Study Centre here in Sydney. Before we meet him, let's have a listen to how we got to where we are on the government shutdown and the border wall negotiations. I will shut down the government. Okay, absolutely. And I am proud, and I'll tell you what, I am proud to shut down the government for border security, Chuck. So why is he digging his heels in on immigration now? That's why. That's why. why now? It is self-preservation because he is dead in the water if he doesn't build that wall. Dead, dead. Mr. President, President Trump, look at the pain and suffering you're causing. So we have one simple message today. Three words. Open the government. Jared, thanks very much for joining us for the first episode of 2019. Thanks for having me. We got a new compromise offer from the president to Democrats over the weekend, uh, offering an extension of protections for some immigrants in exchange for border wall funding. Are Democrats going to find this offer appealing, do you think? No, they uh, pretty much rejected that before it was even formally offered. (laughs) So uh, they've made pretty clear that they're not going to negotiate while the uh, government is shut down, and they will only negotiate once the government is open. And so they'll talk about the wall once everyone is back to work. Okay. Realistically, how much longer can the president keep the government shut down before the lack of income for federal workers, you know, the the potential national security implications for things like airport security and having unpaid Justice Department employees, for example, all force the president's hand? Yeah, well, he basically has as long as he wants. Um, 25% of the government is shut down and some 800,000 government workers are going unpaid. But the rest of the government is uh, functioning, and they have funding up to September of this year. And um, I think the the challenge here and the most worrying aspect of it is the fact that there are people leaving government over this. Yep. You can't have a, a job that year to year is going to be used as leverage in some political fighting. And so it's really sad that uh, some of uh, America's best and brightest are, are probably not going to subject their families to this any longer and, and instead choose to go in the private sector. So does that affect public opinion then? I mean, Trump's chosen to own this shutdown thus far, you know, and the conventional wisdom is that he would suffer from this. So, you know, does there come a turning point really where it, where all, all this impact on federal workers, their impact on their families, it's finally too much and he says, oh, well, I'm going to have to, you know, cut a, a deal that doesn't benefit me in the short term. I think he sees the wall as an existential thing for him. Right. And there's no way he can compromise on that. I think he hasn't shown really a lot of uh, 
of sympathy for the workers. Um, he really is just focused on the wall and his base. Right. You know, again, you, you go back to his midterms and what many would see as defeat. He has taken that that defeat and instead of trying to compromise and move and get other sides of the aisle and other parties and in, in interested and in build a coalition of, the, of, of folks to join his agenda, he's instead really just focusing on his base. Right. And what does that base want? Build the wall. Okay. And so you're just going to continue to see the build the wall uh, chants continue mm -hmm. uh, throughout the rest of his uh, administration until they actually do finally build the wall, whatever that may be, even though no one's really clear what that is at this point. <laughs> um, is there a real danger, though, that public opinion could swing against the Democrats here? So we just spoke a little bit about how it may affect Trump, but what about the Democrats? I mean, if they're, if they're not coming to the table, they're not ex ex um, sort of accepting any compromise. Uh, is there a danger then that public opinion turns against them? Yeah, there, there's always a danger in a shutdown, and it's always um, something that, that politicians try to avoid because it's hard to predict who's yep. going to be uh, hurt the worst. But I think the the issue here is that Trump is, as much as he's good at getting headlines, he's not very good at being consistent in his uh, headlines. Right. And so he hasn't really made clear what he wants, how he wants it, and what he's willing to deliver. Again, you go back to just a month ago. And Trump was willing to sort of have a, a budget deal that did not include the wall. Mm -hmm. And then you had some um, conservative commentators criticize him for that. And right. then he completely changed his tune. So yep. 180 there. And then you have Mitch McConnell, uh, the Senate GOP leader, trying to figure out what, what Trump wants and what he'll uh, allow on the floor to be voted on. And again, it's not very clear. No mm -hmm. one really knows what Trump wants. So the Democrats, on the other hand, they have not lost a single Democrat. They yeah. haven't been able to, the Trump has not been able to split the Democrats. And, and even you look at Democrats in Trump country, like in West Virginia, you have Joe Manchin. He's still fully on board mm -hmm. with the Democrats. He's not wavering. And it just shows, I think, that combined with polling shows that this is really hurting Trump the most. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really got elected in the midterms, you know, sort of on the basis of, of sort of defying Trump at, you know, sort of every turn, right? I mean, you'd think that the, the danger for them with their own uh, voters is if they don't, you know, sort of continue to, to try and stop the wall from being built. I mean, they were, they were elected on this basis, right? Well, some of them, but then at the same time, those gains were, a lot of them were in Trump country. A lot yeah. of them were in, in, you know, what you'd call like purple districts. Mm -hmm. And so they, they don't necessarily want to just oppose Trump at, at every corner. They, right. They're willing to compromise in areas. And if you just look 10 years ago, the Democrats were actually in favor of a wall. Mm -hmm. And I think if they if Trump is able to open, if Trump opens government and then they start a negotiation on the wall, there's a chance the Democrats may go for some sort of wall right. that they get some political points out of and Trump does too. Mm -hmm. But they're just standing their ground saying they're not going to give in and use use government shutdown as a bargaining chip yeah. for that wall. Yeah. You said say Democrats were um, in favor of the wall. Are we talking all Democrats here, sort of a party, a party platform? Or was it, was it sort of Democrats that were on these states with sort of border, sort of on the Mexican border, for example? It, it was close to a party platform. Okay. I don't think it was officially a party platform, yeah, but yeah. it was most Democrats. You, you look 20 years ago and yeah. Democrats were, were harder against immigration because of the uh, labor unions. Right. So the, the shift on in the Democratic Party from being sort of against immigration because it threatened uh, wages of, of the union mm -hmm. workers to now being for more immigration, that's that's been a gradual one. You only right. have to read a few decades ago to see these like well-known left-wing commentators talking about the threat of illegal immigration. Mm -hmm. So I think the Republicans do have a point saying that, you know, the Democrats were for the wall before Trump was for it. Right. You know, it's okay. just it's just the the Democrats are holding firm on this. We're not going to use the government shutdown as the bargaining chip for that wall.
Let's put a bit of time breaking down uh, last week's big story from BuzzFeed. I wanted to talk a bit about the broader implications of this story for media in particular. Just to give a bit of background to our listeners, so on, on January 17, BuzzFeed News published a report alleging that President Trump directed his longtime attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about negotiations to build this Moscow Trump Tower. The source of that allegation was said to be two federal law enforcement officials involved in the investigation of the matter. The story also claimed that Special Counsel Robert Mueller's office learned about Trump's directive from Cohen to lie to Congress through interviews with witnesses from the Trump Organization, as well as internal company emails, uh, text messages, and a cache of other documents. Um, Jared, we'll, we'll talk about Mueller's response to that story in a second, but if these allegations are proven to be true, um, we're really talking about sort of impeachment territory here, aren't we? I mean, this is sort of suborning perjury and obstruction of justice, similar to Bill Clinton's impeachment? Yeah, I mean, it's important to remember here that impeachment is a political uh, move. It is not a legal one. Yeah. So while the Department of Justice... Uh, is uh, in charge of the law. It's you can't really be impeached until the, the politicians agree to impeach yeah. them. And yeah. um, and so what you have here is what they many are calling a smoking gun. Now what's interesting here is that you know they could, if they wanted to, impeach Trump tomorrow for a litany of issues that they deem are to be un-American. Mm-hmm. But um, what happened is you have the precedence of the water of the Watergate controversy where you had that people were waiting for that smoking gun. They were waiting right. for that Nixon lied. Nixon knew this and he lied about it yep. or he told someone to lie about it. And it's one thing to it's one thing to lie about it and that's something that unfortunately what Trump has become well known for at this point. It's another thing to tell someone to perjure themselves yeah. and under oath lie about it. And so this would be the smoking gun that people would liken to being uh, Nixon telling other folks to perjure themselves. So this was really what many saw to be, myself included, to be a turning point. Mm -hmm. But... um, it's a, the, the big caveat is the uh, if true. Yes. So about one day after BuzzFeed published this story, the special counsel's office issued a pretty rare statement. Um, it read, uh, BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office and characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael, Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate. So a response from the special counsel's office to a media report has pretty much been unheard of during the course of this investigation. Why do you think it felt the need to respond to this story in particular. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. The uh, that special counsel uh, uh, external affairs rep, I think his name is Peter Carr, yeah. and they call him Peter No Comment Carr. Right. <laughs> he um, is known for just shooting down every single comment that people ask for. Mm-hmm. And um, it's there's a few, so many things going on here. It's really interesting. One, you have the Democrats now in control of Congress. Mm-hmm. And Democrats, when they heard this BuzzFeed news story saying, all right, we, let's move to investigate this, you didn't have that under Republican-controlled right. Congress. Yeah. And so yeah. there's one incentive there from the uh, social counsel's office to be like, hold on, w- wait for the, the House of Reps investigation into this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not clear yet. Now, a second really interesting thing here is it's not clear what part of this is not accurate. Yes, yeah, it's, yeah. They haven't is, specified exactly. Yeah. This, that's like pretty legalese. Yeah, and um, so it it could be all of it is not accurate. It yeah. could be some of it is not accurate. Could be a tiny bit is un- yeah. in, not accurate. And it's no one in BuzzFeed themselves have publicly said, "Please tell us what's yeah. not accurate." <laughs> but you, then a third thing is one of the reasons why the special counsel is not uh, commenting on things is that. They don't want to give in to fishing expeditions. Yeah. They don't want to be the like 
oh, let's just see, like list a bunch of possible options, and then the special counsel will refute three of them. Yeah. So that means the fourth one is accurate. Yes. You know? So yeah. Yeah. They, they err on the side of no comment, yeah. and there's been a whole process story now in the Washington Post about how they came to that no comment and how they had, if only BuzzFeed had been more ex- like ex- extensive in how they detailed what the uh, story was about, then they would have properly uh, refuted it. But again, you have a special counsel's um, communications department Mm -hmm. that just says no con to everything. So they sent like a one paragraph story saying, hey, we have a story that uh, Trump told Michael Cohen to lie. And per usual, Peter Carr came back saying, we're going to have to go no comment on this one. And then, of course, once it blew up, then they provide the comment. But it's, it's still, there's so many moving parts on this that it's, it's sort of hard to wrap your head around it. There's a lot at stake for them here, isn't there? They've, they've constantly had to battle this perception, both from within media and outside, it, that they're not a serious news organisation. And that's despite a, a strong record on stories like this Moscow Trump Tower story in the past. Yeah. So BuzzFeed, led by Ben Smith, who's a uh, uh, alum of Politico, they, for a decade now, have had had BuzzFeed news. And they've broken a number of confirmed stories yeah. on the Trump administration. Yeah. and. At the same time, though, their sort of um, uh, way to, of getting revenue is those memes and those listicles. Yes. And they, they, ben Smith is is open about that. Yeah. The, the the chief editor of BuzzFeed News, and it's just that's the, their revenue model. Yeah. So it should be noted that the two writers on that story, one is a Pulitzer Prize winner, right. The other is a Pulitzer Prize finalist. They're they're both serious journalists. They yeah. both come with serious journalism, journalistic chops. Yeah. And, and they worked on this story for a long time. Yeah, they said they worked on it for months. Yeah. And yeah. and they are completely 100% confident. There's no wavering in it. They've done subsequent interviews where people have said, could you have possibly gotten this wrong? Mm-hmm. No. Could your sources have possibly gotten this wrong? Yeah. No. They've been pretty upfront yeah. and confident saying, no, this is completely right and we think over time we will be vindicated. Yeah. And to be fair, that has happened in a few instances yeah. in the Trump administration. So uh, Trump administration so far. More broadly, I imagine U.S. journalists and sort of big media outlets out there are really nervous when it comes to this story because if this is proven to be untrue, the president's going to use this to wage war on sort of so-called fake news, right, and, and potentially dampen any future allegations of collusions with Russians or obstruction of justice. Completely, yeah. Uh, so Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were the two main figures at the Washington Post investigating Richard Nixon yep. during the uh, Watergate uh, um, controversy. And Bodwar just recently said he is thankful that he is not covering the uh, Trump administration's Russia uh, controversy on a daily basis Mm -hmm. because this is so difficult. This is, there's so many dynamics at play here. So first you have an administration that plays, let's be honest, pretty fast and loose with the facts. And it's hard to know what they actually are. But secondly, you have a new media environment here where people want the news instantaneously. Yeah, yeah. They want it on Twitter. They want it on the internet. You, there's no waiting. There's no yeah. patience anymore. Yeah. And so you have a really difficult subject where you can't tell what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, their own, or oftentimes, their own people don't even know what the truth is. Yeah. Then you have a media environment where people just want the truth right away. Yeah. And so it's so difficult to, to nail that down. When you have 
arguably the most respected DC uh, insider journalist saying, I'm thankful I'm not doing this. That, yeah. that tells you how, how difficult this high wire act is. No other major news organizations were able to verify these claims independently themselves. Um, I've seen some criticism of the of the coverage, but is it realistic to sort of ask news organizations to not run with a story that's lit up social media and sort of come from an outlet which until this point had a, a solid track record on the Trump-Russia story? Yeah, I mean, I think if BuzzFeed did this under the Obama administration, the other news outlets would also cover it ferociously. Right. Yeah. I don't think there's some sort of special standard here. And also, let's be honest, does it seem completely out of character for for the pres- for President Trump to ask someone to not tell the <laughs> truth? It you know, it, it doesn't really yeah. meet the smell test there, you yeah. know, in terms yeah. of it being completely inaccurate. Yeah. And so I think it, it, it was a legitimate story, and it, they continued to to stand by it. And they all, again, they took months to do this. Yeah. These are legitimate journalists, and they're confident in their stories. And it's just a waiting game now to see who's proven right. Yeah. What do Democrats do here? Obviously, they've got the House committees available to investigate allegations like this. But realistically, they're going to wait until the Mueller report's released, right, before pursuing any kind of impeachment proceedings. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Axios did a sort of uh, informal poll of Democratic lawmakers, new Democratic lawmakers, I should say, you know, ones who, like you said, really were on on the face of that Trump election, everyone talking about Trump in, in these midterm elections. And they asked them where they stood on impeachment. And the vast majority of them were against it. Right. They really for are- For the time being or yes, altogether? for the time being, okay. for the time being. Um, they don't want to rush this. They see that as a, like a one-shot opportunity and they don't want to waste their shot mm-hmm. when something is not rock solid. And I think the interesting thing in all this BuzzFeed controversy, it legitimizes the Bob Mueller investigation because now you have Republicans in Trump saying even Bob Mueller calls this incorrect. And Bob Mueller is somewhat now more legitimate because he's actually calling things trusting. Exactly. He's building building a sort of notoriety for independence. And I think that's really valuable to to Mueller. Mm -hmm. But going back to the Democrats, yeah, they don't want to waste their one-shot opportunity. Yep. They really want to make sure that they are on solid ground and they can and when they do the articles of impeachment, which by the way they like one, two or three of them have done. Yep. I think one did it last year. Um and again, no one went for it. Yeah. But when they do it and as the whole Democratic Party and, and Congress do it, they want to make sure that it's not a waste of opportunity and that the Senate Republicans will go for it as well. Mm-hmm. I should mention as well, if anyone wants to read um, anything further on the Democrat-controlled committees in the House of Representatives, Bruce Wolpe has a great brief on the United States Study Centre website uh, that was out last week looking at the new leadership of those committees and uh, the effect they're likely to have on the Trump administration. Jared, let's take a moment to discuss Rudy Giuliani, uh, the president's lawyer and really a uh, de facto press secretary at this point, given how much media he does. Let's have a few. Let's have a listen to a few of his uh, comments in media interviews over the past week. I never said there was no collusion between the campaign or between people in the campaign. Yes, I have, have no idea if I have not. I said the you... president of the United States. There is not a single bit of evidence the president of the United States committed the only crime you could commit here: conspired with the Russians to hack the DNC. He's pleading guilty to get a reduced sentence, which means he's saying what the prosecutor wants him to say. But you just acknowledged that President Trump might have talked to him about about his testimony. And so what if he talked to him about it? Is it not possible that Michael Cohen had that conversation? I'm just asking you for what what happened or what didn't happen. It's not possible. The President Michael Cohen left the conversation thinking, well, this is what the boss wants me to say. 
The boss wants me not to say, possible. It's the not guy possible. driving this testimony was Michael Cohen. Uh, Jared, he's not really helping the president at this point, is he? Um, uh, I mean, he's, he's saying that it's perfectly normal for Trump to talk to Cohen before congressional testimony, but it, it, it isn't normal for subjects of um, or witnesses in a congressional investigation to discuss testimony with each other, is it? No, it isn't. But, you know, you can sort of see the strategy of trying to sort of muddy the waters yeah. where you're trying to sort of mix up what is right, what is wrong, and trying to move the goalposts, you know, you're not giving a consistent, like, this is right, this is wrong. Right. You know, you're constantly changing your story. And you can say that sort of, you can see it strategically, that sort of helps the Trump administration, like, not be nailed to any one red line that they've defined mm -hmm. as being, being incorrect. Right. Whether it be they're doing that, that Russian uh, tower project in early 2016, or late 2016. Yep. How long they were discussing it when, yeah. you know, up until uh, after the election. Whether there's collusion in, on the campaign, yep. whether it's only collusion with the president. Yep. Just moving these goalposts, moving moving the targets and changing the story that, that helps you, in, you could say strategically, not be nailed to any one thing. You know, okay. at the same time, it seems like there's a lot of backtracking when Rudy Giuliani, yeah. <laughs> or after Rudy Giuliani goes on, on camera. Um, yep. So you think, I mean, so comments like this, you know, his moving of the goalposts last week when he claimed that he never said there was no collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. You think that there's a real method to this kind of madness that they are planning that he's going to go out there and say these things to kind of confuse the issue? Or, I mean, or is it just a case that he's going out there and he doesn't really know what he's going to say and it just ends up, you know, sounding ridiculous and getting himself in trouble because there is no plan, there is no method to this? Oh well, yeah, you don't want to add too much uh, strategic thinking <laughs> yeah. when there isn't. Yeah, twelve-dimensional chess. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I can, I, I can see it being being the latter, and it most likely is that. But I can also see the advantages of yeah. of the confusing messaging. Okay. I, and if there's anything that that President Trump likes, it's uh, good TV uh, personalities. And mm -hmm. Giuliani is. Engaging, yeah, he's, he's good passionate. He's yeah. a passionate defender, and yeah, he he gets ratings, and yeah, he keeps moving the goalposts, and yeah. so like you can't really nail down Trump on anything. Yeah. Uh, Jared, we'll leave things there. Thanks so much for joining us to help kick off the year. My pleasure. A big thank you to Lobo Loco, Ketza, and Chad Crouch for their musical talents this week, and as always, the Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences for their studio assistance. We'll see you next week for another episode of Twenty Twenty Vision.